and welcome to the How CMOs Commit podcast. I'm Margaret Malloy, Global Chief Marketing Officer of the leading branding firm Siegel & Gale. From April to August 2020, I interviewed 50 CMOs from around the world as host of the Siegel & Gale Future of Branding event series. Although it pains me not to break bread in person, we've uncovered invaluable insights and memorable human stories during this virtual season. In many ways, this podcast provides an exclusive oral history of how brands and CMOs live in the COVID-19 era. From the decisions facing CMOs during this time to the commitments they are forging for the uncharted road ahead, the conversations are uniquely vulnerable and strategic. Please be sure to listen to the end when I provide my reflections on our discussion. This is how CMOs commit. Siegel and Gale Future of Branding Virtual Roundtable. This is a series modeled on our signature CMO roundtables. Every fortnight, we welcome five CMOs and discuss and explore how they are leading their brands in the COVID-19 era and beyond. I'm your host, Margaret Malloy, Global CMO of Siegel & Gale. Siegel & Gale is a preeminent brand strategy, design and experience firm. For the last 50 years, we've had the privilege of working with many of the world's leading brands. Although it pains us not to break bread with you in person today, we are thrilled to welcome hundreds of marketers from across the globe to our audience today. And we'd like to hear from all of you. As ever, I'm joined by five CMOs who are distinguishing themselves in their response to the crisis. I'm going to essentially go around the room virtually, meet all five, and then in turn, we'll come back and have a detailed conversation with each CMO. So let's begin. First up, Soyoung Yang is the CMO of EOS, EOS. Soyoung, personal strength are you drawing on right now and why? So I am drawing on, I, I'm actually humbled by everybody's responses because they're, they're wonderfully emotional and rich. I was actually more pragmatic in my response and I said multitasking because I have never been stretched this far being a, a marketer as well as a mom, as well as a homeschooler, as well as a chef. And it, it really is, is quite a, a time to be all of those things at once. And I think that I'm really impressed by how many folks are saying empathy because that is the, the, the strength that, that I tap into now as I think about my situation and then apply that to everybody else that I work with on a day-to-day -day basis, making sure that we're being empathetic to their situations as well. Heidi Browning, joining from San Francisco, CMO and EVP at the National Hockey League. Good morning, Heidi. Good morning. So for me, I'm drawing upon positivity always been part of my DNA, but it's so even more important now as we're leading teams uh, who are dispersed across uh, North America. And I think it's an opportunity for us to look both inward and outward for the gift in crisis, whether it's a gift for our planet, for our communities, for our families, for our teams. I think there are little gifts that are presenting themselves in this that I hope that we hold on to and take with us uh, once we're through this. 
Next, I'm going to welcome Vikram Krishnal, the EVP, CMO, Head of Customer Experience, and much more besides at Emirates NBD. Good evening, Dubai. Hi, Margaret. Good evening, everybody. It's eight in the evening. So I think I'm incredibly grateful for the situation that I'm in. My family's safe. My community around is responding to the crisis as best as they can. And equally, I'm really, really optimistic that uh, something really interesting and good is going to come out of it. And uh, a lot of us in the positions that we are in are a part of that conversation. And that makes me really excited. Okay, let's now go to Lynn Godfrey, CMO of the Lymphoma and Leukemia Society. Hi, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here. I, I would say uh, I certainly resonate with the comments about optimism and, and empathy, particularly in rallying teams that are now that you, the only way you can build sort of team dynamic is through Zoom and those little boxes. But for me, I think it's being a producer, sort of the jack of all trades, knowing when to pull in the right resources and talent and skills as quickly as possible to, to move pretty fast and nimbly. And that's, that means not just in from the workspace, but frankly, on the home front too, you know, you've, you got to figure out how, how to juggle all those multiple balls. And I think at least for me, having a sense of who do I pull in at what time and when is, is critical and has, has always been my go-to in these instances. And Karen Wish is the CMO at Mount Sinai usually based in New York City. I think you might have escaped the city ever so slightly, Karen. Where are you and what personal strengths are you drawing on? Thank you very much, Margaret, first of all, for having me. And I'm really privileged to be part of this uh, distinguished panel. I am in New Jersey, uh, still very much operating to support Mount Sinai Health System virtually, which is based in Manhattan. Um, and I would say that the personal strength that I'm drawing on is the ability to convey and clarity. Because I think what happened is, you know, in early March, when this health crisis came upon us, uh, we as a marketing communications team entered uncharted territory. Business as usual stopped. Uh, the health system geared up much like troops would in a battle to care for extremely critically ill patients. And for context, we have since that time treated 8,000 patients with COVID and have discharged approximately, let me see the latest number here is 5,300 people back to home. So from a marketing communications lens, supporting the people who were actually in this battle and complementing that with the external forces that were at play, whether they be government or community, there was a lot of transformation. And so I think calm and clarity is the personal strength that I have drawn upon. Marvelous. Well, thank you all for generously sharing those strengths. I will invite our audience now to use that Q&A feature. That's the bubble just beside the chat feature that you already populated. Pop your questions into that section and we'll do our best over the course of this conversation or indeed the series to answer the questions. So let's now have a chat with each CMO intern. So Young, you're first up. As we introduce the CMO of EOS, famous for the iconic, lovely lip, lip balm and so much more. Tell us how you've been from the marketing side. And I know, of course, you also have product innovation under your purview. Tell us what your priorities have been in terms of responding to the crisis and how you're doing. 
So it has been quite a challenge. I think the, the hardest things to navigate is all of the uncertainty. I think if we knew that this was a specific period of time and we knew what, what the, the end game looked like, I think that would be a very different thing. But right now we're navigating without really knowing what the future looks like. And by necessity, um, which I would imagine a lot of brands are going through, making do with less. And that means less. It means less money, yes. But it also means less luxury of time. It means less luxury of togetherness and working together as a team. So it means that we actually have to be incredibly focused at this time, both as a team and as a brand in making sure that we're doing the things that really matter. So um, over the past few weeks, we've really been focused on a couple of priorities and kind of pulled back our activities so that we can make sure that we're executing things well and that we're being really smart about where we're investing time and money. Perhaps you might highlight some of those responses or some of the priorities. I thought about, um, you know, sort of what the team's been really focused on the last few weeks and the, the two major activities that we've had going on couldn't be more different from each other. So one of the activities that we had going on, we, we had a major Q2 product launch and we had had a marketing plan that was in development that was largely experiential and out of home. Mm. Obviously, that was not something that was going to um, make sense anymore. So we pivoted and we had to pivot really quickly. Um, and we decided to, to pivot that into a virtual experience to bring it into people's homes through social media. And so we, we ran our third TikTok campaign meant to be lighthearted, fun, interactive. It was all about, you know, hiding EOS Easter eggs um, across a number of different videos and then letting, letting the audience kind of find them. Um, and, it, and it was really meant to just be lighthearted and bring a smile to people's faces um, from the comfort of, and safety of their own homes. That was one activity that we did that was really about pivoting and making sure that we could still connect and engage our audience within this new normal. The second thing, which is very different, um, but also was a, a big focus over the last few weeks, was we pulled together really quickly a donation program. And that donation program was all about getting one of our more recent product launches, our, our hand creams, into the hands of frontline healthcare workers. And, and that was something that was really meaningful to us because we had to pull it together really quickly within 10 days. And it was something that we could do even as a brand that is, you know, maybe not the first brand that you would associate with what's happening in the world right now, but it was incredibly motivating and, and gratifying for the team to be able to work on something to make a little bit of a difference and, and a little impact in the world. So those were really the two focuses. It was really all about taking things and clarifying the long project list and really crystallizing and getting it down to the few things that would matter both to our team and to our brand. You touched on brand so young, and to me, your brand is about moments of awesomeness. Tell us about how this plays into the context of a pandemic and how you navigate that in a world where there are many moments that are not awesome right now. Yeah, I think that's an excellent question. It's one that we've um, that we really struggled with, especially in the beginning when we really weren't sure what the right response was for us as a brand. We didn't want to be inauthentic about entering into waters that didn't resonate for our brand and to our audience. And, you know, so I use the example of something that's lighthearted, but at the same time, I think we really felt like it was our place as a brand to be able to continue it, to engage our consumer within social media, because that's where a lot of our consumers spending their time these days in a way that gave them a little sense of delight and relief in a world that feels very anxious and and stress laden right now. And so that was really what kind of got us to focus in on the activation that we ultimately ended up going forward with. But I will also say that I, I think, you know, as a brand that, you know, our, our, our mantra is like, is make it awesome. 
But really, it also means how are we making it awesome for our organization? And so, you know, I, I thought about that second example around, around the donation program that we pulled together because it was really all about making sure that as a culture, we were standing behind what it meant to make our teams feel awesome about what they were doing in the world. And, and it was real because it, it, we were actually making a decision between whether we're producing to sell product or we're producing to donate product. And we made that decision to do the latter because it was something that was really meaningful to our team. And so for us, you know, living the brand purpose was important, but it, it's some of it's very visible to um, our audience and some of it's sort of for our culture and our organization, but it's just as important. And I know growth is something that matters to you in your professional agenda. Where does growth play into the equation now? Well, I think that we're always still looking towards growth. And, and especially when you, you know, in, in my purview, having product innovation as part of the, the areas that I'm accountable for, I always have to be thinking, even though we're really thinking a lot about how perhaps right now in the short term, we're thinking survival. But ultimately, we're thinking growth. And if I'm not thinking about growth for the future today, there won't be a future. So it's all about balancing out how we can make sure that we're ensuring health and survival in the short term in this uncertain climate, as well as continuing to invest in growth for the future. And it's, it's, a, it's a balancing act. Um, and we've definitely had to pull back on both of those fronts. But we still need some balance between near term versus future growth. Excellent. Thank you for that, Soyoung. So now let's head over to San Francisco. And as I introduced earlier, Heidi Browning is the EVP and CMO at the National Hockey League, one of the oldest professional sports organizations in America. I think you've 31 members. Tell us how it's been. We can only imagine. So what's top of mind, Heidi? It was March 12th was the day that we paused our league and we paused our league right before we were entering our playoff season, which is the most exciting moment for our sports. It's where, you know, the most, the biggest part of our business and our fandom, everything resonates. So at that moment, we were left with this void of content and this you know, uncertainty around the world for everyone of knowing what was going on. So our biggest challenge was how do we keep our fans engaged and entertained and informed in the absence of this other content? And we took a three-prong approach from a communications and content perspective. Initially, we stopped all communication on our social media channels and just shifted only to straight facts, communications about what the league is doing, what the clubs are doing, just news and information. And we thought that that was important from a tone perspective, as well as just general information for our fans, because each day new things were unfolding for all of us. As we started to learn more about COVID, this communication took a new form and it was really around our athletes themselves talking about health and hygiene and safety and as their roles as role models in society, it was very important that they were stepping up showing, you know, what proper, you know, hygiene and social distancing and physical distancing is and communicating that to all of their fans and really making sure that they're validating with their fandom that this is the right decision and to do what we do, right? We're staying home, we're sheltering in place, we're wearing masks, do what we do. And so that was a really important phase of it. And our players, our athletes have been traditionally very shy or reticent to use social media. So we um, were thrilled to see that the majority of our players, over 609 players, 
posted on their social channels during this time and, and we're sharing with folks. So that was terrific. The second part of it was community, and that's our role as sports, is our deep roots and connectivity and connection with the communities that we serve. And so really making sure that our players, our teams, our owners, we had a role in giving back, whether it was delivering you know, food to healthcare workers, delivering meals to kids who are out of school, we're you know delivering PEP to different hospitals. We've been really active in our communities, both um, within our hockey family that we have, but also our partners um, to make sure that we're doing our part in society. And then the last part was really about connection. And now more than ever, people need and want that connection. And, you know, we talked a little bit about the humanity that we're finding in the Zoom boxes. Well, this is where it's an opportunity for our fans to connect with our players more than ever. And this is where we have a little bit of a silver lining in this crisis because, again, in hockey culture, it's all about playing for the name on the front of your jersey, not the name on the back. And so with that, many of our athletes don't want to stand out and participate in social media. And it's actually, in many cases, not welcome in the in the locker room. You get you know razzed if you if you participate in social media. But because the players are at home with their families and they're just like us, sheltering in place, they don't have a place to work out. You know, they're trying to they're watching Netflix. They they were so willing to share this sneak peek in their lives. And for us, that was so important because. Fans want to know our players and this is the opportunity to do it. And we found that our access to players and the, the um, you know, they, they uh, participated in, you know, both the fun kind of content uh, that we created as well as the serious content about community and health and hygiene and safety. But that's been terrific. And so we were able to galvanize our team across North America to create content, not only for our social media channels, but this content was then fed to our linear partners. So we were creating content, you know, in studios from home that was now being shown on Sportsnet and NBC Sports. So it was an incredible feat across our organization. It kept us busier than ever. You know, I share in that that I, this has been, you know, a, a moment where we're all in. It's 24-7. We have this responsibility to, you know, connect and communicate and, and um, entertain our fans. And so um, it's been, you know, a welcome opportunity for us to stay focused in organization and within our team and our teamwork. While we're doing that, sorry, I know you're going to ask a question. We're trying to figure out what's next with the sport, right? Um, we, because it was the most exciting part of our season, we're looking at all kinds of return to play scenarios. But first and foremost, it has to be healthy for our players, has to be healthy for our staff and for our fans. And, you know, we're probably one of the last businesses that's going to come back as usual because we have 18 to 20,000 fans in a building. That's not going to happen in the short term. We're looking at scenarios of coming back without fans. We're looking at scenarios where we create, for lack of a better word, bubbles, where we can bring the teams into limited locations so we can you know, really control the health and the cleanliness of the situation from their hotel to practice rink to 
playing in an arena. We're looking at all of these possibilities so that we can deliver both the, you know, the players the opportunity to get what they live for, like their whole careers about striving for winning that Stanley Cup. And so we want to give them the opportunity to do that. But we also want to give our fans the opportunity to watch this happen because they've been coming along for the ride for the whole season. We want to be able to pay it off. But again, it has to be, we have to have enough testing. We have to have enough protocol. And there's so many complexities that we're working through even just border because our teams are in North America and the Canadian border is closed. And we've got, you know, 20% of our team are located in countries around the world. And so we need to bring them back. So there's a lot of work that we're doing with communities, with governments, with our, you know, PA to be able to resume play at some point in the future. So Karen, you preempted the questions in the, in the Q&A around um, what's next. Who's the great hockey player who, who we all learned about in strategy class that says, what is it? Skate ahead or skate to where the puck is going. Gretzky, right? And Gretzky, yeah. Yes, yes. That's, that's my closest uh, reference to hockey. That's my recollection from strategy class. So w- with that in mind, how do you keep Unity engaged? You mentioned the hockey at home. I think that's the series that you've been talking about. What's highest impact and what's most meaningful in terms of your brand and keeping your brand relevant at this time? So hockey at home is our umbrella. It's a hashtag. We've turned it into a TV show. And it's really honoring and celebrating the sport that we love the most. So we use the hockey at home moniker to talk about players' lives and get a sneak peek in these personal interviews and, you know, learning more about them, whether it's an Instagram Q&A or, or a Zoom conference where it's a reunion with all the St. Louis Blues who won the cup last year. That hockey at home uh, notion is really where we are. But we also use it for our uh, fans. And we're sourcing content from around the world of these passionate hockey fans who are, you know, showing how, what hockey means to them in their homes, how they're playing hockey, you know, sometimes it's in their backyard, um, how they've decked out their, you know, their basement with synthetic ice, whatever it may be. But we've been trying to create engagement moments. So one of the parts of our creative is around the great celebrating the greatest moments that have happened in the season so far. We've created a bracket and fans vote each day on what's the best moment moves forward, moves forward. Well, we took that one extra level. And in TikTok, we identified 10 moments that we thought could be recreated as challenges. And we brought those into TikTok. So now we're having so much fun with both audio and visual cues in TikTok. And we're seeing young fans participate, but we're also seeing our players and our players' families participate, which is exactly what we want. The whole hockey family to connect around this hockey at home concept. Tremendous. So we'll follow hashtag hockey at home on all our platforms, especially checking it out on TikTok. Okay, Vikram, you're up next, leading marketing and customer experience at Emirates NBD, leading bank in the UAE and indeed in the region. Give us some perspective in terms of how the banking world that you interface with in the region has been impacted and importantly, how you've effectively responded. So I'll broaden it up to the banking sector overall. And uh, I think, uh, you know, one of the challenges that we have faced as a whole, uh, as an industry is, is significant vulnerability that has got exposed. I think it's almost like the fault lines of vulnerability, uh, not just in areas like, uh, you know, the economy, which is, according to the IMF, uh, 
there's about $9 trillion cost in counting for this uh, crisis and how we respond to it. Or the, the healthcare systems and you know how they're responding to this uh, unprecedented times. Or the society as such and the political and governance systems around it in terms of what they are doing to sort of you know manage this uh, in the various ways that they do, right? So banking being at the center of it, uh, we realize that it's super important for us to be a bit of a calming influence and uh, to give that sense of uh, hope and perspective that hey, all is not lost. We're in it together. We'll deal with this and, uh, and we'll come out stronger, hopefully, as a result of what's going on. So I think this, this whole context of different vulnerabilities has created a whole lot of anxiety. And our role as marketeers, uh, especially in the financial services world, is really how do we build trust? How do we make people a little bit more confident? And uh, how do we create a sense of hope? Fascinating distinction this time from the last financial crisis uh, in terms of the roles banks can play, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think it's a, for us, it's a perfect storm because earlier in the previous crisis, it was a bunch of, it was essentially a crisis of financial institutions. But mm -hmm. this is a far larger crisis of a scale that we wouldn't have imagined uh, in the past. Yes, it is unprecedented. I know one of the responses that you have a lot of passion around is the area of climate control or specifically climate change in the context of the pandemic. Any remarks that you would make on that topic, particularly from your vantage point, because you have an interesting lens on the issue. You see capital flows. Any insights you would share there? So I'm very excited about the way um, the world is responding to the climate crisis, uh, of course, there are naysayers, but there are some very specific data points that everyone must sort of uh, pay attention to. So I'll give you three data points that are, that are very fascinating for me. The first is that uh, the green bond market is expected to cross a trillion dollars this year. Second is carbon credits is expected to be about $215 billion this year. And uh, ESG funds are going to be about $20 billion. So if you look at all of this together, then capital flows are now reorienting themselves, are paying a lot more attention towards uh, the uh, climate crisis. In fact, Davos last year, the bulk of the conversation was around this whole context of what do we do and how do we do deal with it success, uh, successfully. I think particularly for me, why it's relevant is uh, because, you know, I believe very strongly in the concept of uh, intergenerational equity. And I believe that it is everyone's responsibility to make sure that you leave behind uh, a lot more than what you've inherited. And I think the whole conversation on climate change is exactly that, both at a personal level and at an organizational level. And as an industry, uh, we're looking at this very closely and we're seeing what kind of difference we can make in that context. So in the context of Emirates NBD, you see the cash flow, you see where capital is going. And you certainly that's very different from a decade ago when we had a reduction in emissions during the crisis, but it went right back. But it seems that the renewable sector is getting more funding, which gives us more optimism going forward for a silver lining on the back of this pandemic. So that's very interesting data points you've shared, Vikram. Anything else you would add in terms of the response to the crisis, specifically in the banking area at your institution and in the region? Anything that's been particularly high impact? I, I think um, most of the brands in us, in our sector, 
going back to the basics in terms of understanding what is a, what is their purpose what is their role in the society and how do they then fulfill that effectively so i think the first action that most banks took was to really focus on business continuity not just for themselves but also for their customers and to see what do we need to do are there are there some financial solutions that we can come up with which can help them in reconstructing you know who they are what they represent equally i think it's been about the fact that uh, there's been a lot of emphasis on you know how do you add value and how do you create you know meaningful actions that are demonstrated through solid acts where people look at it and say yes this makes sense it's adding value to me the bank understands and empathizes with my current situation and is then taking that ahead uh, so there have been many such uh, examples but i think what we've done is uh, we've looked at uh, uh you know financial assistance to a certain section of our, our community especially the business community uh we're looking at uh, how do we enhance our digital channels and capabilities so that whole aspect of banking becomes more and more uh, convenient and should customers come to and interact with our physical infrastructure then how do you make sure that the health and safety and hygiene standards and protocols are raised to a certain level so i think it's a combination of this uh which it's a mixing decks that different banks are are taking up we have in fact uh, really raised the decibel levels when it comes to our marketing so we do anywhere between 250 to 300 marketing programs a month and that is in my opinion at least 25% more than what we were doing pre covid and it's essential because i think only when the marketing voice um, out there and is actually giving Uh, you know uh, what are customers thinking feeling and and the uncertainties that are going on in their minds and then providing some kind of concrete solutions around it uh, i think that's something that becomes increasingly important for organizations like ours thank you for sharing that vikram now let's talk with lynn godfrey cmo at the leukemia and lymphoma society so lynn you're faced with the daunting challenge of helping people who are suffering from cancer in a pandemic who may have to pause treatments who may be anxious about financial hardships and other conditions so a very challenging context to operate within talk to us about the role of your department and i know you're relatively new in role how is marketing at the society supporting the mission Oh, thank you Margaret. Yeah, you you really couched the challenge quite well at Leukemia Lymphoma or LLS as we like to call it. We're an organization for over 70 years that has been investing in cutting edge research to find a cure, but also to provide access to information, support and resources to patients, survivors, their families, etc. Something Vikram mentioned in the, when he began speaking was this sense of vulnerability and fear and certainly for a cancer patient a blood cancer patient in general you you have a lot of anxiety and fear because in the blood cancer world it's particularly um it can be a particularly aggressive form of cancer there's no way to take preventative measures so a lot of times when you're diagnosed it come may come as a complete surprise so you're trying to figure out how to navigate that then couple with the fact that you're in the middle of a pandemic which has completely disrupted not only is it the concern that your immune system which is already suppressed puts you more at risk but 
treatments may have been delayed. You can't get access to your, your doctor or oncologist. Stepping out your door to try to get transportation to a hospital is with all kinds of risks that have been heightened. So for us, our focus from a marketing comms and organization perspective is really over the past two months been focused on serving two different audiences. The first is our patients and families. They come first. And it became very clear that we had a need based on our information resource center we're hearing directly from patients that we served that we needed to reinforce that we were there for them. That while you know some of their treatments and things may have been paused, we know that cancer doesn't pause, it keeps going. And so a lot of communications to assure and allay concerns that they we are here to fill a gap that they may be experiencing in the midst of this lockdown. Uh, two weeks in, based on a, a lot of the feedback received from our patients and their families, um, we work really closely with our partners in fund development and we stood up a COVID-19 financial aid program, which committed with the help of important um, corporate partners, um, which basically stood up at $5 million. And we had about a week and a half as a team to rally, to pull together the information, the assets to just to make sure these our patient families knew about this, this program, which would basically provided, regardless of uh, financial need, some financial resources or a stipend to, to handle everything from transportation to housing to in, perhaps increased medical costs, et cetera, during this turbulent time. In the short time that that program has been up and running. I think we served over 15,000 patients, a quarter of which are young, meaning like under 16, across the country, and I think distributed close to $4 million. So from a MARCOM perspective, making sure that we were getting the word out about the program, providing cr critical information of how to access it, how to to apply and get the funds as quickly as possible, not to mention to reinforce the slew of different uh, services and support that we provide was, was without a doubt a priority. And we did that through our user, our, I would say not just usual touch points, but also enlisting the support of many of our partners who wanted to step in and help utilizing their platforms, whether it be on social, direct mail, et cetera, to help amplify that message. So it was, how can we say we're this steady guide, friend, advocate, navigator for our patients? Now, that's one side of the house. The other side are volunteers. I mean, LLS is known for its peer-to-peer -peer fundraising. And in fact, we've had a lot of success on that front over the past five years in particular. Those fundraising events are all grounded in people coming together in communities to run, walk, bike, swim, what have you, to raise important dollars to make our delivery of mission all the critical. And it became very clear at the beginning of March, we had to, as marathons, walks, some of our other um, fundraising event products had to be cancel, canceled or postponed. And that was a real significant source of revenue for us as an organization. And so it has required us in a short amount of time to work very closely with our product team to ideate on how do we take an event in a local market that maybe attracted a thousand or more people, how do you take that into a virtual experience? 
that still it, it brings that sense of satisfaction and sense of community while at the same time generating the the fundraising dollars needed to support the organization and to, and, and ideally you know give that support into pa- patient care into research etc right so we've really had to it's been an exciting time i will say because while while we were faced with the prospect of having a large revenue source sort of cut off unexpectedly at the knees, anything, I think it's been liberating for my team and others in the organization to re-envision what this experience could be like and to try and test things that we had never done before without real fear of failure. We, 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 we for example, have taken what was an upcoming event in Seattle known as Big Climb, where we, people were had committed to climbing 61 stories of the Salesforce Tower. Now we've converted that to a national big virtual climb so that wherever you are in your home or in the safety of your home or in your backyard, what have you, you can climb together. You can either climb 1,700 steps or you can take... 8,800 strides, but the bottom line is it's a way for us to, we're seeing it, and my team and I, we're seeing it as this great opportunity to expand our net beyond the Seattle market to a national market, bring in people who have been supporters of LLS, but also invite a lot of folks who are missing sports, are at home trying to figure out, they're tired of the latest vegan muffin recipe or binging on Netflix, here's a way to do good and get fit and do it with your family, with your dog, et cetera. We're really seeing it as a way to reach odd, different audience segments that frankly we haven't tapped before. So it, this is coming up on June 13th. June 13, Lynn, right? Yes. So yes. thank you for sharing and taking us through that journey. What a great metaphor, climbing. Yes. In this context, absolutely beautiful. So we can learn more about that. If my research is correct, I have June 13th, the big virtual climb. That's right. The big virtual climb. Anyone can join and participate. We've waived registration fees. You raise as much money as whatever you raise is, is a gift, which we will welcome wholeheartedly. And, uh, we're really looking to embrace different platforms beyond our what has been our comfort zone. So a lot of talk about TikTok and other, you know, sports, more athletic platforms to more women lifestyle um, media channels, et cetera, really casting a wide net. Well, thank you for that, Lynn. Perhaps we'll be able to support you as a group. Let's go to our final CMO. Karen Wish has been patiently waiting to share the response of Mount Sinai health system to the crisis. And you you touched on it earlier, arguably of all of us, the entity that's truly on the front lines here. The hospital part of the health system is dear to my heart. I delivered two of my sons there, one of whom caused me to spend many, many days in that neonatal NICU unit. And truly, I can say from personal experience, that institution delivers miracles. And those are the kind of things that I know you and your team are working through today in a much larger context of the pandemic. So, Karen, so much to say. 
talk to us from the lens of marketing and the role you and your team have played in helping the community, the frontline workers, and all of us. Thank you very much, Margaret. You know, I would say that the thinking about this from a marketing lens, the biggest challenge in this reality has been the ongoing need for warp speed action. If you think about it, patients presented to us, the disease was unknown, the, the care protocols were unknown, the, reach, the research was unknown. As we're all talking about with the uncertainties, Mount Sinai mobilized all of its forces, all of its clinical care teams. The school had labs that were transformed into finding solutions for COVID-19 and stopped working temporarily on other research projects to make an impact. So from a marketing communication lens, we too had to mobilize to support what was happening from both an operations and clinical care and research perspective. What that really meant was we had to imbue nimbleness. Um, our teams had to come together like we've never come together before. And the way this happened really was under the structure of a command center. And the leader of this command center, I will give him a shout out, Don Boyce, because he's an amazing human being. He said something at one point in March, which was, how many of us in our professional careers have had the chance to all work on the same problem at the same time all together? And that wasn't just a marketing and communications comment. That was uh, a, a physician comment, a nursing comment, a social worker, a researcher, operation. So all of us are in the same boat, rowing toward the same direction, trying to help save lives and find, find interventions that would help solve this crisis. So the way that we had to do that was literally to smash silos. There's that concept of breaking silos down. We smashed them and we created this ability to really streamline communication, which is very much in effect today. So every day, every morning, we are together in an interdisciplinary way. We are bringing forth the challenges, the questions, the problems, and we're solving them real time. And we have access to anyone in the healthcare system that we need to speak to to make this a reality. And we're turning that into information. So we communicate with our 42,000 employees on, on a daily basis. We have a Facebook Live series, for example, that is designed to hear our prospective patients or patients' concerns and is developed to address them. So we know that much like Lynn was talking about in the world of cancer, we have a Facebook Live series related to cancer. What does it mean to have COVID-19 and deal with pregnancy, asthma? The list goes on and we've, we've been very fortunate. We've, we've had a lot of traction on those and we have over seven and a half million views at this point. So become a resource of information and we channel all of the capabilities. So if we have a series related to cancer, for example, we'll complement that with a podcast series. We will complement that with an internal blog post. So everything is rallying around the same issue and bringing forth the strength of the organization and the relevant information forward. And at the same time, we are remaining incredibly nimble to communicate the policies that are changing, or at least they were changing on a daily basis. So 
Yeah, go ahead, Margaret. Yeah, I was just going to say your reputation of excellence in research, that must serve as an important foundation from a credibility standpoint. It's extraordinary. And if I could comment on that, because one of the unique elements of Mount Sinai is our direct linkage to our medical school, the Icon School of Medicine. And as recently, I mean, if you actually think about this, right, the pandemic really started in early March. And here we are today, what is it, 10, 11 weeks later, we just launched a company. We just launched a company, a joint venture company founded really by the, the technology created at Mount Sinai to develop and scale production of a test kit related to antibodies that will ultimately, the goal is to produce over 10 million by the month of July that will inform the development of a vaccine and also inform how all of us can return to work. So that is one example of many that really links the concept of research to making a difference in patient care. And there, I just, I mean, I have to say one other example, you know, when we had issues surrounding ventilators, our teams came together and figured out how to use other types of equipment and develop protocols that were shared worldwide of how to get around this crisis to make sure that people had the care that they needed. So the innovation and the speed of the innovation and our ability to help communicate that has really been an incredible part of what we're doing. Thank you for that, Karen. And we're all tremendously proud of what you're doing, particularly those of us in New York. So now let's go back around the virtual room. We're going to have a final question. Same batting order. Apologies, Heidi, for the other sport metaphor. So young. Let's start with yourself. Now look forward. Imagine it's 2022 and the world has normalized, whatever that means. Right. <laughs> um, what's customer experience going to look like then? And what is your commitment to ensuring that you're on the forefront of that? I love like whatever that means. So I do hope we, we have some semblance of normal. I, I think, you know, human beings are inherently very social creatures. And I, and, and I know that those human connections are one of the things that, that we're all missing collectively. But I also feel like one of some of the common threads that I'm hearing through everyone's stories are really incredible about human resilience as well in terms of adaptability, agility, and creativity. It's really incredible how we're all coming from different places. And yet there are those common threads through our stories. And, um, you know, one of the one of the things that I've been really impressed by um, when I look towards our customer or our consumer is their creativity. They're continuing to live social and, you know, as, as rich of a life as we possibly can within our four walls through their creative expression. And, and as a brand that specifically, um, you know, has a higher distortion towards a Gen Z and young millennial audience, it's been really inspiring for me to see that come to life online through creative expression and social media. So for us, you know, when at a time when right now, Gen Zers will say, you know, nearly nine and 10 of them will say that they're using creative expression to help lower their anxiety and stress. I hope that the new normal means that there's more creative expression to be had in the future. And that as a brand, we can help to support and foster that through what we do in connecting with our audience. So it's one of the things that I'm really excited about, leaning into the idea of creativity and creative expression among young people, and in particular, how that comes to life in the digital and social world. So we're still working on some of the work of it, but um, I'm really excited to, to commit to it and accelerate the work. Heidi, what about the NHL? 
So 2022, well, we hope that we're fully returned with fans in the building. I do envision new sort of safety and security protocols um, coming into play. We've been working already in terms of increasing security and health uh, safety, but I can see it taking a much more prominent place. You can imagine a lot more touchless experiences, um, going the ingress and egress in and out of our arenas is important how we order food, deliver food, all those kinds of things. I think you're going to see transformation there. But I also think that this period of time when we can't have fans in the building, it's going to breed a lot of creativity with our technology. So things like camera angles, being able to bring in AR and VR. And I think those are going to expand our game beyond just the hardcore fans, but be able to pull in um, some of these more casual fans, again, through AR, through VR, through esports, to experience our game in new ways that complement the traditional sitting in an arena live sport experience. Experience. Vikram, on the banking front. I think we hope to see banking that's uh, a lot more digital, a lot more experiential, almost live, and, uh, and much deeper relationships than what exists at the moment. And we hope to do that uh, by creating more and more opportunities where we can uh, prosper together not just as a, as a community or a country or the entire ecosystem, everyone has a stake in their game and, um, and there's benefits that everyone sees around it. We also hope that banking um, becomes a thread that gets people to collaborate a little bit more. So businesses collaborating with each other, people participating in, in mutual prosperity. And uh, we also hope that uh, there's a lot more enterprise uh, going forward. And then the banks have a role to play in terms of, you know, fostering that drive and taking some level of ownership around it and making some really interesting solutions available that uh, can hopefully help us together achieve a better tomorrow. We look forward to seeing those instruments in play. Lynn, LSL and also indeed philanthropy, what do you see? That'll be interesting to see how how this uh, what happens in a year in terms of upending that the charitable giving industry. I certainly I I wholeheartedly believe that the public's interest in awareness and health issues and investing in the resources, whether it be on the research side or patient direct patient care side, will increase as a result of people have been experiencing COVID. I see for us much more of a balance between hopefully we'll, we'll get to the point where we can perhaps maybe not on the same grand scale, but smaller gatherings, you know, safely, but you could toggle between in-person gatherings and virtual gatherings. I think I don't recall who mentioned it earlier on the human need for that interconnectivity, regardless of how, smooth zoom meeting goes people do want to have that in-person connection so that's not going to go away i just think we're going to have a lot more options in the virtual space to offer not just to our potential fundraisers but frankly to patients and caregivers who because of a variety of constraints cannot get to a conference cannot get to a visit how can we continue to provide those resources but virtually and then in terms of the not, I, I think we will also find LLS as an organization that has re 
imagined how we could operate across national and local chapters in a way that's more effective and efficient um, than we have before, but still holding on to the commitment to the mission. Fascinating. Okay, Karen, healthcare, habits yeah, that think, formed that may stay, changes? I think we're definitely going to see a steady growth in telehealth, the way we receive patient visits. Even in our short time, we've grown from a few hundred to 5,000 visits a day using this telehealth and other technology solutions. I think that outpatient care, which was a trend before this health crisis hit, will continue to be a trend where hospitals become the destination spots for complicated and complex care. And much like was just said by Lynn, I really, really hope that this crisis brings awareness and deep understanding around the need to continually invest in science and research so that it's better valued, better supported, and constantly on the forefront. Okay. Well, thank you all. And in thanking our panel, as always, I would like to share some personal reflections on what we heard today. As I listened to the five CMOs, a single overarching theme emerges to me. That's the theme of fortitude. By fortitude, plainly, I mean strength in the face of adversity. COVID-19 is a reality characterized by extreme difficulty. How we deal with that is a choice characterized by extreme tension. And it seems to me in listening to these five CMOs and the organizations that you represent, you are exhibiting tremendous fortitude in the decisions you are making today and the commitments you are forging for the future. These qualities stand out in how the five CMOs are cultivating this fortitude. First, embracing constraints. We did not hear any compare and despair. Instead, anchored in a clear sense of brand purpose and buoyed by a learning mindset and agility, these CMOs are disengaging from old marketing plans or paradigms that are no longer meaningful to enact and to act in a way that's meaningful in the current context. And in so doing, you're unleashing tremendous creativity and undaunting resolve. Second quality, embracing teamwork. By demonstrating solidarity and inspiring collective resilience, these CMOs are creating the conditions for the kind of teamwork that identifies opportunities, mobilizes people to act swiftly, and promotes innovation within your organizations and with your external partners. Third quality that I hear is embracing humility. A high degree of humility is empowering these CMOs to foster openness to lead by listening to what all stakeholders need and collaborating across your organizations and with your ecosystem, responding with empathy and great impact. As we all strive for the fortitude to emerge strong from this crisis, it's clear to me 
Now is the time when we can build great amounts of brand equity and employee loyalty if we are attuned to how our employees, our customers and our community is thinking and feeling. Thank you, So Young, Heidi, Vikram, Lynn and Karen. We at Siegel and Gale and the community are tremendously appreciative of your spending the hour to tell your story to us. And we look forward to tracking your progress as you live out the commitments you've shared. To everyone here, I invite you to come back on June 4th, where we will be joined by five more CMOs to learn how they are tackling COVID-19 and beyond. Thank you to my production team led by Alison Carrion and Ashley Noonan. And on behalf of everyone at Siegel and Gale, please know that across the physical distance that both separates and protects us, we remain committed to sustaining the bonds of support and shared joy of brand building that unites this marketing community. If there is a need that you have that we may be able to address, please reach out to us. I'm Margaret Malloy, CMO of Siegel and Gale, thanking all of you and wishing you, for those of you in the United States, a restorative Memorial Day weekend. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining How CMOs Commit. You've heard the strategic insights and professional commitments of top brand builders from around the world. I hope you also enjoyed my reflections on how this conversation is relevant to all marketers. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast or your favorite podcast app. And please rate, review, and share this podcast. Until next time, this is how CMOs commit. <laughs>